just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Now, in yesterday's podcast, I talked about the uh, snowstorm out in Washington, D.C. and on the East Coast there. You got 12 to 14 inches and everything was getting tied up and everybody was all excited because they're not used to that kind of uh, snow in that area. I even recounted a a story about my time when I was in D.C. with a heavy snowstorm. It's kind of crazy out there. Well, I was surprised to find out when I woke up this morning this story, that on 995 in Virginia, there was a literal standstill in traffic on that highway. After the snowstorm, 12 inches or so, the roads were very icy. People didn't know how to drive in those circumstances. And anytime you get 12 inches, it's hard to drive anyway because it really messes up the roadway. I mean, when it's snowing, it's that much harder to drive. But when you get 10, 12, 15 inches on the road, that is a problem, especially for folks that aren't really experienced in dealing with that kind of snowfall. Well, as it turns out, there were a number of crashes on I-95 in Virginia. Um, Traffic backed up as it does. You know, we see something like that in Minnesota. It could be backed up for a couple of hours, maybe even three hours if there's a number of crashes. Traffic is slower than normal, so you're going to be delayed when you're coming home or going to wherever you're headed during a snowstorm like that. But in this case, in Virginia, it was a different situation. These people were stranded on the freeways for 20-plus hours, 24, 26 hours. There were trucks. There were cars. There were all kinds of people trapped on the roadway. There were no off-ramps where they were. And even if they did get off on the side roads, traffic was there was crazy as well. So because Virginia doesn't have the snow plows or the experience in dealing with heavy snows like this, and there are crashes, probably more crashes than there were emergency vehicles. So this all took some time. Then they had to get tow trucks, get cars out of the median, deal with those people that were injured. And that backed things up for 20 Four hours at least. Can you imagine that? Being stuck in a snowstorm, being stuck on a roadway with thousands of other cars and not being able to get anywhere. You know, I think about all the road rage we see on the roads because somebody might be delayed five or ten minutes. I have to think that after about two, three hours, there's some angry people out there. After six or seven hours, they almost have to resign themselves to being stuck, and everybody else is stuck too. Then they have to start thinking about survival. I mean, it's cold out there. It's a snowstorm. You've got a car heater, but uh, you probably have limited gas. So you start it and you stop it. You try to entertain yourself. There is no water. There is no food. It's a scary situation. I can only imagine. In fact, that's probably one of my greatest fears, not so much for me, but for my family, my wife, my kids, my daughter-in-law, my grandkids. Being stuck someplace in the middle of a winter storm, not being able to get out, and maybe the car doesn't start and it's cold and we have sub-zero temperatures. 
that is a deadly situation. Now, I think the temperatures weren't quite that bad in Virginia, so nobody was going to freeze to death. But still, this is a scary situation. And as a former traffic reporter, I can tell you how this happens. You get an accident, you get a backup, and you have icy roads. Then those people coming up to the backup don't pay attention, try to stop on the icy roads, then they become the back end of the crash. And then that continues to happen and continues to happen because people don't pay attention. So all of a sudden, you get thousands of cars in this crash. And to get this figured out is going to take a while, especially when you're in a state that isn't used to these kinds of circumstances. Well, as I understand it, they did get it worked out finally. They did get people off the roadways and back home or wherever it is they were going. And as far as I know, there were no serious injuries or deaths or anything like that. And that's a little surprising. When you have that much ice on the roadways and that many cars involved, you can almost expect some kind of injuries. The good news about this circumstance, and every time I was doing traffic reporting and I see a heavy snow, the thing that gave me some comfort was, first, there's going to be a lot of crashes. Now, that's not comfortable. Where the comfort came in is because of the heavy snow, everybody is going to be driving slowly no matter what because you just can't drive fast through thick snow. So there were a number of crashes. They were all mostly fender benders because they weren't going fast enough for anybody to get injured. It was a pain. It was scary but no one was going to get injured because everybody drove way slower than they would normally drive, only because they had to, given the snow on the roadway. So I'm glad that they got that figured out. I'm glad they got the people off the roadways. It's not not something that uh, the state of Virginia or D.C. or any of these places is used to, so it takes them a while to get that handled. I'm glad it's over. But it's only January, and there are some more snowstorms coming. We've got some snow coming in here today, as a matter of fact, maybe two or three inches. I'll be honest with you, in Minnesota, two or three inches ain't shit. Nobody stops driving. Nothing gets shut down. They just power through it, and then within hours after the snow stops falling, it's plowed out, it's sanded, it's salted, whatever they do, and things are back to normal. But that's in Minnesota. We're used to dealing with this stuff. When you go to Virginia, Washington, D.C., or like last year in Dallas, Texas, they're lost. They don't know what to do, and it becomes much more of a problem. So hopefully these folks in Virginia will not get another winter storm or down in Texas because God knows how that grid's going to hold out if they do. Uh, as it comes through Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, Canada, and stuff, we all know how to deal with it. It's not going to be a problem. The other thing we know, if we've got 15 inches of snow coming down, don't get in your car. Don't go driving in that shit because it's going to be bad. I don't care where you have to go or what kind of time frame you have. If you're getting two inches an hour of snow, you don't go in your car. You get in the house. You stay there until it's over and clear. That's the only way to be safe. All right, let's talk about some of the things happening in the world of politics or news or just general America problems. The House Select Committee, as we know, have been um, asking people to testify. We know that they've had 
already more than 300 people testify. The House Select Committee knows what's up, knows where the bodies are buried. A lot of people have given them a lot of information. They want to, um, they want a couple of sitting um, congressmen to come, Jim Jordan being one of them. Uh, they want them to come and testify, and they've declined. Uh, you're probably wondering why they haven't asked for a subpoena yet with these folks. Well, they're trying to figure out if they can do that. You see, that's never happened. Congress has never had to subpoena its own to testify. Normally, they do it willingly because that's, well, that's kind of their fucking job. But these two clowns don't want to do it. They've also, the select committee has also asked other people to come testify. Mark Meadows, for example, uh, he was the chief of staff. Uh, there was a, a subpoena put out on him, and he was referred over to the DOJ. We have not yet heard what the DOJ or Merrick Garland are going to do. But keep in mind this. Steve Bannon was sent over to the DOJ. It took them three weeks, but they agreed to press charges. We're now at about two and a half weeks for Mark Meadows, so those charges may be yet to come. We'll see what happens there. But today it was interesting. We have another, I don't know if it's a first, but it's a rarity if nothing else. Uh, The House Select Committee has asked Fox News reporter, host, whatever you want to call him. He's not even really a news person, but it's called Fox News. Sean Hannity to come and testify in front of the House Select Committee. Now, see, here's the deal. Um, The House Select Committee has gotten a bunch of texts. You know, back when Mark Meadows turned over those texts and such. Well, there's some more of them. And these are Sean Hannity sending and receiving texts from the White House, Mark Meadows and others. There's even talk that he spoke to uh, Donald Trump after the insurrection on the phone. But the interesting thing about those texts, first, we know that Sean Hannity um, was begging Mark Meadows to get Donald Trump to do something about the insurrection, get him to stop Uh, get him to say something to stop the insurrection because of uh, the violence that was happening there. Now, to be perfectly honest with you, with somebody like uh, Sean Hannity, I don't think he was worried about the violence or what it was. He was worried about the future. He was worried about how this is going to make the Republicans look and how this is going to be problematic uh, with Donald Trump's legacy and any hopes of him getting reelected. So Sean Hannity was concerned about this, and he was pressing him to do something during the insurrection. Of course, we know Donald Trump did jack shit, and that's what this situation is all about. But here's the interesting thing about the text that Sean Hannity sent. These texts were uh, talking about uh, the events leading up to January 6th, and these text give the impression that he knew of some plan. He obviously pointed out that he knew that Donald Trump had some power to get the insurrectionists stopped. But Sean Hannity's giving some advice, like he was afraid what's going to happen the next 48 hours, and this was sent on January 5th. He says, what's going to happen on the 6th of January isn't going to be like what they're telling Donald Trump. Now, we know that happens a lot. 
when he was in office. They were afraid to tell Donald Trump the truth, so they'd lie to him a little bit, fib to him a little bit, and just keep him placated. But um, whatever was going on, whatever the plans were, uh, they seemed to have gone south. But nonetheless, it seems as though that Sean Hannity knew that there was some attempt, legal or otherwise, being attempted to overthrow the election and the government, for that matter. And he was concerned about it. He was concerned that Donald Trump wasn't being uh, informed properly and that something was going to go south. Well, go south it did. And we had an insurrection. And obviously, Sean Hannity was worried about it because he was begging Donald Trump to stop. But it seems like after the event, now he's an insurrectionist denier. This guy has no credibility. He has no legitimacy. He's a flat-out liar. He's only interested in ratings and power. Donald Trump represented some power for him, and the information he puts out is about ratings for him. That's all he gives a shit about. So now the House Select Committee wants him to sit down and answer some questions. Well, I think the likelihood of him just agreeing to sit down and answer questions is zero. They could theoretically subpoena him, and since he doesn't work for the White House, he's a private citizen for all intents and purposes. He obviously has some information about January 6th and those days leading up to it and the planning of it. He talked to Mark Meadows. He talked to Donald Trump. He knew what was going on. So obviously he's an interest to the House Select Committee to find out what he knew before this all happened. But as I say, he won't agree to sit down and talk, I don't think, unless he's trying to avoid something. So then he could be subpoenaed. Now, he doesn't have any of the claims that these political people have, and those claims are just bullshit, but Sean Hannity has none of those. And if he decides to ignore a subpoena, then he can be and will be charged with uh, contempt of court, and there are some penalties there. Now, what the uh, House Select Committee tried to do is appeal to his patriotic side. Now, I don't think anybody's under the delusion that Sean Hannity is patriotic, but Sean Hannity thinks he's patriotic, and they're just trying to goad him along. You're probably wondering, if he doesn't, if they don't think he's going to testify, why do they do this? Well, in the, in the, in the release that came out, They gave verbatim many of the texts that Sean Hannity sent and got, a lot of information that he got and and sent to the White House. They took this opportunity, this platform, to get all the information out before he even decided whether he was going to answer the questions. The reason they did that is because they knew he would be a hard case to try to get to testify. So they put all this out to make it available in the ether to the regular people in this country, the general public, you and me, so we know what's going on. If you're not going to testify, we're going to air your dirty laundry right in public. And that's what they're doing. It's also potentially a way to put pressure on, uh, on um, Sean Hannity. So he decides, well, maybe I should testify to try to spin this some way. Understand this. 
The House Select Committee is doing a good job with this. Whether Sean Hannity testifies or not doesn't make a difference. They have the fucking tasks. They have what he said. They have what people told him. They don't really have much they need to ask him for, but they need to expose him. They need to expose the dirty laundry like they're doing. They're playing the game just like the Republicans do, and that's good to see. That's all we've got to do between now and November 2022. Get as much information out, expose as many people as possible, and just keep shoving it down their throat. So the narrative is the Democrats, and the understanding is that Republicans are seditionists, they are treasonists, and everything they fucking did. And that's the goal of the House Select Committee now. We understand that there's going to be some public hearings on television during primetime. I'm excited about that. Some people are going to get tore up pretty good on television. And it's all with the intent of putting more and more information out there. So those people that are maybe in the middle between the far left and the far right see what's happening, use their logic, common sense, and say, yeah, I don't need any more of that. This is about getting down to who's guilty. And when they expose this stuff, expect the House Select Committee to refer people to the Department of Justice for criminal proceedings, because we are talking about sedition, treason, and all kinds of other things. And the House Select Committee has said that they aren't going to mince any words. They're not going to two-step anything here. If somebody committed a crime, whether they be a sitting member of Congress or former president of the United States, they are going to get referred. So we're watching all of this. It's very interesting. We'll see how things continue here. Now, here's an interesting story out of New York. We We know that Andrew Cuomo, former governor, had to resign because of some of his sexual harassment and or sexual abuse charges from a number of women. Now, there was some question that at least one of these cases might be criminal, and he may be able to stand trial for it. Well, it's interesting that uh, today, or yesterday actually, New York announced that they will decline to press charges against Andrew Cuomo despite uh, the fact that the, commu- the accuser was cooperative and credible, but apparently the prosecutor says they could not prove it. They didn't have enough evidence to prove it, and that may or may not be the case. I mean, there may be some deal struck here. Uh, <clears throat> trying and convicting a governor is along the same lines of uh, trying and convicting a president. If you do that sort of thing, you risk the possibility that the uh, the party that was beat up in this case with uh, the Democrats, with Andrew Cuomo, um, it's conceivable that when the tide is turned and there's a Republican governor, that they may just run him through the court system for anything, and then our government is a mess. It's just all about lawsuits. It's not about governing. So they're very careful about these things. Now, Andrew Cuomo, as far as I'm concerned, is an arrogant piece of shit. He's certainly capable of sexually harassing women. I think he's had problems with it in the past. His brother, Chris, was let go from CNN for the very same problem. 
we have to understand where Andrew and Chris came from. Their father was a former governor of the state of New York. Very wealthy family. Here's two kids when they were young that pretty much got everything they wanted, did whatever they wanted. They were a good-looking pair of kids, so they just ran rampant because daddy was rich and powerful. Well, as you get older, it's no longer cute anymore, and it comes home to roost. And at some point, you have to be responsible for your misdeeds, and both these two clowns are paying the price now. Andrew Cuomo loses his job as governor. Uh, Chris Cuomo loses his job as a reporter on CNN. There isn't going to be any legal proceedings with these people. What's going to happen is they're going to disappear for a while. They may crop up someplace else doing something else or trying to go back and did what they did before. They have money, so they have more rights than you and I. That's not that's not proper, but that's the fucking way it is. They will reinvent themselves and they will come back. Yes, they left in shame, but they have no shame. So they'll just sit back, relax on their piles of money. And then when they decide to come back and they think it's worn off because uh, Americans forget shit very quickly. I mean, think about how bad we hated Michael Cohen when he was going to trial. Everybody hated him because he was tied to Donald Trump. But guess what? Now everybody likes uh, Michael Cohen because he's talking shit about Donald Trump. Michael Cohen is still Michael Cohen. He still did some that dastardly shit. So we should keep that in mind. And as much as we might like Michael Cohen because he's doing our bidding now, we still have to remember, not a good guy, not an honest guy, a criminal, somebody who was convicted of a crime. Same thing with the Cuomos. They will come back smiles on their face, trying to do something else. They actually don't have to do anything else because they got more money than they can possibly want. But it's their ego that will bring them back. It might be a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, who knows. But they'll be back. They'll be back in the spotlight, and people will welcome them with open arms in spite of what their track record is. That's the sad thing about this country. People forget too easy. Everybody screams about cancel culture, but apparently cancel culture is only temporary. You're canceled for the moment, and you go away. But if you can figure out a way to reinvent yourself— You can be back in an instant. That's what's going to happen with the Cuomos. They deserve what they get. I don't know if there was any reason to uh, put Andrew Cuomo on trial, but maybe there was, and maybe his power and clout got him out of that. I've suffered enough embarrassment because I had to resign. Yeah, well, motherfucker, look, how about the women that had to be embarrassed by how they were treated by you? Nobody's thinking about that. If everything was proper and everything was right, these two people, Cuomo's, Chris and Andrew, would slink away in shame, never to reappear again. But don't count on that. You'll see them again. All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. All right, January 6th is coming up. It's a year since the insurrection of January 6th, 2021. That was a hellacious day, probably one of the scariest days in American history, second only to 9-11. But it was frightening. 
watching groups of Americans trying to overthrow our government, overturn an election. I know as I sat watching it on TV, I was intrigued. I was glued to it. My wife, on the other hand, it scared her, and she said, please turn it off. I said, honey, we got to watch this. This is history. we got to know what's going to happen. And she, and she couldn't take it. She didn't like the stress and the strain. She understood exactly how dangerous this was. And I think a lot of people feel that way. Well, that is over now. And instead of being afraid of that and sh- um, shrinking away from it, we got to step up, put our head to the grindstone, and fucking start pushing because everybody needs to understand the seriousness of this. Now, I talked about it before. Nancy Pelosi announced that there would be some commemorative events, uh, some memorials, some uh, solemn events remembering the January 6th insurrection coming this Thursday, January 6th. And that is the smart thing to do. There were people injured. There were people killed. There were people traumatized. Our country was on the verge of being overthrown, our democracy hanging by a thread. If there is anything we should be made to remember, it is that day. Because if we don't remember what happened that day and how it happened, we're doomed to have it happen again, and maybe next time it will be successful. And if it's successful, that's the end of our country as we know it. It's now autocratic and uh, dictators and all this other bullshit, and we're done. We're just fucking, you might as well move to Canada if you don't like an autocracy. But fortunately, they weren't successful. And now we're looking into all the things that uh, started it. We need to expose that. So Nancy Pelosi did the smart thing on two levels. She did the right thing by suggesting we have a commemorative events, solemn events, to remember that day. That's important. Much like we would with 9-11 or any of these other serious events in our country. But the other reason it's good to do it is because, as I've said before, we need to keep pushing this tragedy into people's faces. We've got people that says, oh, it was nothing. It was tourist. It was a peaceful protest. It was none of those things. All you have to do is watch two minutes of video from that event, and you can't say that it was peaceful or it was tourist. But still, there are a lot of people in this country that don't believe it was anything. I don't know if it's they're not doing research or they're only listening to the wrong people or or they just refuse to believe it. I don't know what it is. But we need everybody in this country to understand how bad it was. So these events, these uh, remembrances are important. It's important to respect that day and what happened that day and the people that were involved and injured and killed. But it's also important to keep pushing it out there, put it in the narrative so people never forget. And those people who don't know anybody better learn some things that they need to know in order to make good choices come the midterms in 2022. But here's the thing. Donald Trump is more than happy to piss on anybody's parade if it's going to benefit him. So after that was announced, Donald Trump announced that he was going to have a press conference on that same day, January 6th, at the same time the events were scheduled to happen. 
And Donald Trump was going to go over out there and try to steal the thunder from what was going on in Washington, D.C. Well, that isn't going to work. And Donald Trump's so arrogant, he doesn't know any fucking better. But still, Donald Trump will try because I've said many times before, let Donald Trump open his mouth because he'll just fuck it up. I know it. All Democrats know it. And actually, all Republicans know it. So here's what happened. He was going to talk about election fraud, how the election was stolen from him. He was going to talk about the heroes, the patriots that stormed the U.S. Capitol. He's going to lionize them and make them look like important, good people that he loves. That's what he was going to do, and his whole intent of doing that is to change the narrative. He's done it for four years on every fucking thing he's ever been involved in. So that's what he wants to do. So he planned this press conference thinking just out of sheer name alone, he could pull all the attention away from what was going on in the Capitol and once again control the narrative. But here's what really happened. Now, earlier yesterday, apparently somebody got to Donald Trump and said, look, Donald, we got those texts from Sean Hannity. We got a lot of information coming out. We got all these events at the U.S. Capitol. You standing up there talking probably isn't a good idea. That's not a good idea. No, Don, we're not, we're not fucking doing that because it's just going to make you look bad. And he probably still at that point believed in his head, no, I can pull it out, I'm a master orator, and I'm going to get these people to side with me. I'm going to accomplish what I need to accomplish. But then reality hit him. Hold on a second. I need some liquid and some ice from time to time, because when I'm talking like this, my throat gets dry, and I start sounding funny. It may not bother you, but it bothers the shit out of me. Anyway, what really hit home with Donald Trump was he found out something, and I actually suggested this yesterday, and I'm under no delusion that anybody listened to me or heard me, but I know they were all thinking the same thing. Donald Trump's going to speak out in front of the public. Everybody will clamor to hear what he has to say. Yeah, no, no, because what the Trump organization found out is that all the major media outlets were not going to run his press conference. They had no interest in giving him any air at all. Now, of course, Fox might do it. OAN might do it. uh, Newsmax might do it. But here's the problem. He doesn't have to change the narrative with them. These fucking idiots already believe the bullshit that he's spewing. What he needs to do is somehow get in front of those people that don't know any better. The people between the left and the right, the middle people that aren't really paying attention to it because they're worried about other things. He needs to get to them so they can hear it, so they can hear his story, and he can do his master salesmanship and get them to believe his way. Well, unfortunately... If mainstream media, or as he calls them, lamestream media, aren't going to pay any attention, well, then he's got a problem. There's really no point in doing it. Not to mention the fact he's probably going to 
take some heat for the fact that it is in fucking horrible taste, given the day and given what's going on in Washington, D.C. So Donald Trump gets talked into not doing it. And the only way you can talk him into not doing it is to convince him he's going to be embarrassed if he does. Because as a narcissist, the last thing in the world he wants is to be embarrassed. That's the one thing he cannot handle. But he couldn't just slink away and say nothing about it. So he comes out and he says, yeah, on January 6th, we're not, uh, we're canceling that press conference because of, and he starts spewing stuff, lame lamestream media and uh, election fraud and the unselect committee. <laughs> yeah, I always love that. He'll say something like, they're the unselect committee. They're in fact called the select committee. But he thinks by putting the U in the end before select that somehow that's a master, a master uh, cut or burn. And that's coming from a, uh, <laughs> coming from a boomer. That's a serious burn. Now, you young people won't know what the fuck that means, but it's bad. And so so uh, he comes out and he says that. He makes an excuse that makes no sense. And he says, but you know what? We'll be able to talk about these things in depth on January 15th when I do my rally. <laughs> I fucking love that. His rally. Well, his rallies aren't being very well attended. If you take a look at some of the videos of his recent rallies, there's a lot of empty seats. A lot of empty seats. In fact, I told a joke when we were at the... Uh, it didn't go over well. My wife did not like it. But when we went out to Arizona to see the uh, Guaranteed Rate Bowl, Minnesota versus West Virginia, I was in Phoenix for a day and then I flew back. I was out at the Guaranteed Rate Bowl. Now, the crowd in this stadium was, it was okay, but it was pretty sparse. It was pretty sparse. There were a lot of empty seats. <laughs> and, and it makes sense because it's a small-time bowl, Minnesota and West Virginia. How many people other than me are going to come to the game? That's a long way to go for kind of a Midland bowl game. So I took some pictures of the crowd and I went to my family text circle. I took some pictures of the crowd and I wrote back, I said, in Phoenix at the guaranteed rate bowl. But as I'm looking at the crowd, it looks more like a Trump rally. <laughs> I thought it was funny. I'm in fucking Arizona, for Christ's sake. Um, and, and then I said, <laughs> then after that, I said, I said, uh, Gophers won, but the cyber ninjas are going to check into this to make sure there was no football fraud and we should know the actual outcome in about six to eight months. Now, I thought that was funny. My family, who are Gopher fans, didn't think it was funny. They thought I was diminishing the Golden Gophers. Now, I wasn't. I'm a Gopher fan. I'm not a crazy Gopher fan. Um, I mean, I like Gopher women's hockey because they always win. I'm not as big of a gopher football fan. And people say, why not? You're from Minnesota. Here's why not. I was born in 1960. 1960 was the last time the Gophers won a national championship. And all the preceding or uh, post-seasons after that, 
they've always been kind of mediocre. I mean, they've had some winning seasons, but nothing great, nothing that would take us to a top five bowl. And so after all those years of mediocrity, it's hard for me to get excited, you know? You get seven wins. You get eight wins. Eight wins is a big year. But it's it's not a big, big year. It's not winning the big one or even getting in the top five or ten of this country. And after 60 years of that, you kind of say, you know, I like the Gophers fine, but uh, I'm not going to get excited about it. <laughs> the one year they did go to the national championship, I was like six months old. So I was even, well, maybe I was eight months old. And so it's hard for me to get a reference of any place or any time when these guys have been crazy successful. I mean, even the Vikings, as shitty as they are now, I remember the 70s, and they were very uh, very much a force to be dealt with. But, and the Twins did win a couple World Series, but the Gophers never have done anything for me, so I wasn't that excited. I sent those texts out. A few people were angry with me because I, they thought I was being mean to the Gophers, and I wasn't. I was being mean to Trump and his administration and his fucked-up rallies. So we have that to look forward to. We have a Trump rally on January 15th, God knows where, talking in a stadium with a sparse crowd saying the same shit he says over and over and over again. And this is part of the reason why he has such a sparse crowd. you got enough rabid fans out there, but here's the deal. During the election, the rallies were free. Everybody just popped in, and they screamed and yelled and went crazy. Well, now they're charging crazy amounts of money, like 100 bucks to get in or whatever. Now, most of these Trumplefucks are not very wealthy, and they don't want to spend 100 bucks ahead to go see it. And even when they do, they hear the same shit over and over again. Donald Trump isn't even smart enough to get a better act or a new act. He just does the same act over and over again. And frankly, that's what he was going to do on January 6th when he did this press conference. He had another problem. He's got all these issues with the insurrection now, the House Select Committee. He made the mistake of calling it a press conference, which means People can ask him questions. Sure, he'll get some softballs from Fox, OAN, and Newsmax. But, as I say, he wants the mainstream or lamestream media there so he can try to convince those people who aren't sure or don't like him at all. Well, now he's going to get some hard questions. And we know how Donald Trump does with hard questions. And we also know the Trump administration, his handlers, and the Republican Party don't like it when he talks. Because, as I've said before, he fucks up every goddamn time. He could be in a perfect position, and somehow he'll fuck himself up, fuck up the Republican Party. So they don't want him talking. But you can't tell Donald Trump that he's not going to talk because he thinks he's an absolute genius when it comes to persuading people. And he's not. He's pretty poor at it, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, so... That's not going to happen on January 6th. We're going to have the serious and solemn events on January 6th at the U.S. Capitol. Donald Trump is not going to be able to mess with it or try to steal the thunder. And the stories I'm hearing is that uh, because all this went down and he's not doing his press conference and he wasn't going to get any TV coverage, apparently it's tantrum central 
in Mar-a-Lago. He's upset. He's screaming at everybody. What he's got to come to the realization and understand is he doesn't have any more power. He's fucking nobody. He's somebody who claims to be a billionaire and is not. He's got businesses. All his businesses are failing and losing money. He's on the verge of being indicted either in New York, in Georgia, or in Washington, D.C. with the DOJ. This guy, let me put it to you this way. If you were going to bet on somebody being successful, it'd be a mistake to bet on Donald Trump. People keep saying, well, he's going to run in 2024. There's no way he's running in 2024. Don't even worry about it. He can't. He's going to be tied up in so much shit. He's going to be exposed for everything he is. He's going to be broke because all his money is going away in his business. He's not making a profit on any business. Now, people will say, well, he's grifted all this money. He will, uh, he'll be fine. Well, some people have said he's grifted as much as $300 million. You have to understand, in his world, that doesn't last long. Not for Donald Trump. He needs to keep that monkey on his back. He needs to keep getting more and more money. But if he keeps doing the same song and dance and nothing he says comes true, and we're seeing him losing support in this country, that money's going to dry up. And when the money dries up and all the other shit comes to pass, Donald Trump is fucking done. He is seriously done. That's going to happen. Just watch. Takes longer than a lot of you like to see, but just be patient. One other thing I wanted to talk about is that Chuck Schumer, and I talked about this uh, last podcast, but I think this is important. I've said this all along. After we got into the holidays, they were really pushing hard on the Build Back Better bill. They've now set that aside temporarily, and they're pushing really hard on this voting rights bill. Because that really is the most important thing right now. If you get the Build Back Better bill and you don't get the voting rights bill, it doesn't matter. You need to get the voting rights bill and uh, um, somehow combat against all these voter suppression laws in all the states around the country and the gerrymandering. So they need to get this passed. But in order to get it passed, they have to do something with the filibuster. They need to change the rules in the Senate in order to get the bill uh, get the voting rights bill passed. No Republican is going to vote for it. We know that. We know the Republicans don't like voting rights because if there are voting rights, they can't win elections. So of course they're against it. So somehow you've got to pass the voting rights bill fifty one to fifty. And the only way to do it is somehow find a way around the uh, filibuster. Now, in order to do that, you need uh, Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema on board with that. And they, for the longest time, have said, no, I don't want to change the filibuster. That's funny. They did that when they raised the debt ceiling a few weeks ago. No problem. No, no delay on that at all. But this one, they seem to have a problem. Now, I saw Joe Manchin being interviewed. And they were talking about changing the rules in the Senate and the filibuster and maybe getting this voting rights past. And frankly, he seemed to be for it. Now, we got to understand with Joe, he says a lot of things. One minute he's for it, next minute he's not. But if the voting right bill doesn't get passed because of Joe Manchin, he's going to get even more heat than he's already getting, and he's getting a lot. He claims to be for voting rights. 
but he's going to be part and parcel responsible to the demise of our democracy if he does not vote for the voting rights bill. He does not want that. As much as he might vote like a Republican, he is in fact a Democrat. And if you hand all the power over to the Republicans and let them cheat, well, you as a Democrat, no matter what you like or what your policies are, you're fucking done. So not even Joe Manchin is stupid enough to let that happen. The voting rights bill has to pass. As I told you before the holidays, it's going to pass probably at some point here in January. They're going to want to get that done quickly. As I've said, uh, the Democrats are on a sprint now from now until November, 11 months. A lot of shit to get done and no time to waste. And that voting rights bill will have to get passed almost immediately if they can want to get all the other things done and if they want to save democracy. Joe Manchin's <clears throat> greedy, he's an asshole, but he's not going to let this one go. He's going to get this voting rights bill passed. He's going to do it the way he wants to with the filibuster. We may not change it permanently for everything, but they're going to cut it out for this one thing with the voting rights bill, and that's fine for now until we get it cut out. If the Democrats can win in 2022, expand their their uh, majorities in the House and the Senate, then they can do whatever they fucking want. And Joe Manchin is is irrelevant. And that should be the goal of the Democrats at this point. So anyway, got a lot of things happening out there. We're Wednesday. Um, as I'm recording this early Wednesday morning, quick reminder Merrick Garland is going to speak at about 2.30 Eastern time. Now, when you listen to this, this might already be over and we know what's up. But I'll say it again. Merrick Garland needs to talk about what's going on with the January 6th investigation. That's what he's going to do. He's going to talk about the perpetrators at the Capitol that are 725 of them have been charged to this point. But they're going to he's going to have to step up and start talking about the people uh, that helped plan this in 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 Congress and in the uh, administration and Donald Trump himself. He's got to give us a little something or there's going to be problems with Merrick Garland in the DOJ. And this may be the very reason why he's giving this speech. He may not give you everything you want to hear, but I believe he's going to give you a taste to at least make you feel more comfortable. He knows the heat's there. Congress is putting heat on him. I would say Joe Biden's putting heat on him, but I doubt it because Joe Biden wants to stay out of it because that's the right thing to do. But somehow he's going to get plenty of pressure. They got to talk about this. You don't do this lengthy investigation exposing all these things and have the DOJ do nothing about it. Merrick Garland was the very person that said, no one is above the law. All right, Merrick, show us you meant what you said. No one, that means a president, that means a congressman, doesn't matter who it is. No one is above the law. All right, we're going to wrap things up for the Rational Boomer podcast. want to thank you for spending time with me, giving me your time. I appreciate it very much. If you have questions or comments, send me a direct email at rationalboomer at gmail.com or you can go to anchor.fm, look for the Rational Boomer podcast and just leave a voice message. You have a great day. I'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time. Next time.